words you will find <clears throat> in the epistle of Paul to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 2 at verse 6. Colossians chapter 2 at verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, in continuing your thoughts of these words, we may briefly remind ourselves of um, what is meant by receiving Christ Jesus the Lord. He is received as the Son of God the mediator between God and man received to exercise all his mediatorial offices in the soul as well as for the soul and in walking in him <coughs> There is implied the constant dependence upon him that encourages those who are otherwise without strength and without guidance, who are therefore unable to walk. They walk in him. They walk in his strength. According to his instruction. Depending on his grace. They walk in him. Now we may see how this uh, works out. In... Um, the actual experience of the belief. And I do not know of any place where that is set before us more clearly or more pointedly than we have it in that chapter of Ephesians which we read this evening. Paul says there that the believers should not henceforth walk as others do. Their walk is to be distinct, distinct and distinguished from that of the world that he should henceforth walk not as the other Gentiles walk 
Now, how do others walk? That is the question. They walk, he says, in the vanity of their own mind. You do not walk like this. Why? Because they walk in Christ. To be preserved from walking as others walk is to walk in Christ, to walk in the Spirit, so as not to fulfill the lust of the flesh, to walk in the Spirit. Now the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their own mind. Those who walk in Christ do not walk in that way. They have been saved from the dominion of this vanity of mind. But what is vanity of mind? Well, we use the word vanity in a certain, uh, in a certain um, way, with a certain meaning. Uh, almost um, synonymous with the word conceit. But that's not the meaning of it here at all. <clears throat> at least, it is much wider, much broader, and much deeper than that. They walked in the vanity of their own mind. Vanity, you remember, is the name often given to idols. They are vanity. There is no substance in them. And in that respect the preacher says that all is vanity. He doesn't mean to say that all is uh, conceit. That's not uh, the idea. But that everything lacks substance. Things here are a mere shadow. They pass away with the use. Now it is the contrast between that which is transitory and that which is permanent that we have in that um, passage of the pictures. Behold, all is vanity. Everything passes away. Everything that pertains and belongs to this life. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There are things that abide, things that are permanent. Now the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their own mind, taken up with uh, things sin and temper. And let us remind ourselves of this that religion considered as mere religion may be vanity as well as other things. And it is precisely in that respect that Paul refers to it. <laughs> At least eh, there is a pointed allusion to that. They walk in the vanity of their own minds. They worship idols. 
they give their time and their allegiance to the creature rather than to God. Now to walk in Christ, to walk in him, implies deliverance from the vanity of one's mind. That is to say, to walk in it means to live unto God and not to the creed. They walk in the vanity of their minds. Do not ye walk thus, for you have not learned Christ in this way, that you should walk in the vanity of your own mind. You have been delivered from this snare. The snare of serving the creature. But the tragedy is that there, that this may be the case while, while one set is ignorant of it. While oneself doesn't know that that is the case. Thousands, my friends, think that they live to God when they do not know the first thing about it. They're persuaded they live to God. They would be indignant if anyone were to suggest anything else. Of course they live to God. And they give much of their time and their energy to Him. So they think, and they have never yet understood what living to God means. And it is here there is room and a call for examining yourselves. Now living to God as distinct from living unto the creature means this first of all knowledge of the greatness and glory of God. Knowledge that awes the spirit, that solemnizes the soul, that puts everything else in its proper life, its proper perspective, the knowledge that gives one to realize that there is none like God, that he is glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. We must realize our own nothingness and God's infinite greatness. Without that, there can be no living to God. Whatever we think, whatever we say, and whatever we do, it is not unto God. There must be this basic knowledge of His greatness. And it is this greatness that subdues the vanity of the mind. 
What are we to confront the vanity of the mind with? What is that that can overcome it? Nothing, my friends. Nothing. But that true sense of the infinite greatness of God. Nothing else. We can argue with it, but it will have no effect. It is the knowledge of, of this greatness, an overpowering sense of the infinity and the infinitude of the divine being. And that is what is conspicuous today in this age by its absence. Conspicuous by its absence. God is not treated merely as an equal. He is often treated as an inferior. And the awe that should characterize man in, a, in the presence of God is lacking. Why? The vanity of the mind still reigns. Now to walk in Christ, to live to God, means first of all deliverance from this vanity, this levity, this lightness of spirit. And what next? Why was that itself there? Well, as we have indicated, it was because of ignorance of God. Being ignorant of the life of God by reason of the, of the darkness that is in them through the hardness of their heart. He have not learned to walk in Christ in this way. To walk in the darkness of your mind due to the hardness of your heart. No, he have not. As he have received him, walk in him. That again implies this. Being saved and preserved from the dominion of a hard heart. The hardness of your, the darkness that is in you by reason of the hardness of your heart. And here again we have that the connection between the intellect and the emotions or the heart that we find so often in scripture to which we have drawn your attention not so long ago. Eros, generally speaking, is traced to the understanding. But there is such a thing as an error in the heart. And Dr. Shedd says that error in the understanding is the result of error in the heart. That is to say, we want to think in a certain way because we are already inclined that way. The heart is already inclined 
the heart has already gone out after something, then we want to think in such a way as to rationalize. That is to justify the error of the heart. That is not walking in Christ, as ye have received him, walk in him. And you will notice that so far we are dealing in particular with this office of a prophet. How is this darkness that is in us, by reason of the hardness of our heart, to be removed by walking in it? by receiving him, yea, and by walking in him. And here again we have that marvelous connection between walking and knowing, to which Christ himself refers in the Gospel of John when he says, if any man will do his will, that is the will of the Father, if any man will do his will, he will know of the doctrine whether it is of God. Now that connection is most significant. If any man will do, he will know. Usually we take the other order. And uh, once again we repeat, the other order was that which prevailed in pagan philosophy. If you will know, you will do. One of the outstanding philosophers of Greece says that nobody will do evil if he knows that it is evil. That is to say, virtue is knowledge. And there is much of that philosophy abroad today. The idea is teach people what is true and they will do it. That's the social gospel in essence. Give them good surroundings, improve their circumstances, and virtue will automatically prevail. That's the social gospel. Now, far be it from us to suggest, but that it is good that people should have, should be in comfortable circumstances. It is very good, very desirable should be worked for, but it has no connection in the world with spirituality. The Israelites were brought out of Egypt, <clears throat> out of um, the slavery of Egypt. It was a great change for them. To be free. It was a great improvement in their lot. But did that change them? Were they better? Only in one sense. They were better as the power of God dealt with them, not as a result of coming out of Egypt. As someone has put it, God took the children of e the children of e Israel out of Egypt in one day. 
But it took 40 years to take Egypt out of the children of Israel. 40 years. Now, this does not come, we say, by social amelioration of people's circumstances. <clears throat> well, that is desirable in itself. It has no connection in the world with what the Apostle was talking about. Ye have not so learned. They were not to walk in the vanity of their own minds by reason of the darkness that was in them through the hardness of their heart. It is the teaching of Christ as prophet, we say, that comes into the fore here. And what does that do? Well, many things. It gives them to be rooted and grounded in the faith. The reason why there are so many people going from one thing to another, anything new, especially in religion, there are certain people who are sure to be there. Why? They are not rooted and grounded in the truth. They are driven about with every wind of doctrine. Now to walk in Christ implies to be rooted and grounded in him as the truth and in the truth as it is in him. Rooted and grounded. The apostle dispenses with the niceties of rhetoric. He is not concerned with, uh, with the rules and regulations of grammar here. He, he, he is um, guilty of the grammatical error known as mixing of his metaphors. He says, walk. He says again, be still. Walk in him. But be rooted and grounded in him. But only walk in him. But how would they walk if they were going to be rooted and grounded? Oh, well, that might be a, a, a violation of the rules of grammar. It is certainly not a violation of the life of the Christian because only as he is rooted and grounded can he walk in Christ. He must be rooted and grounded in him. <laughs> um, Scottish preacher of a bygone age in this connection he was the illustration of a compass Not a compass for telling direction, but the, the instrument for making circles. You know, the compass that we use for making circles. See, one end of it is fixed. And the other, the other moves around that fixed end. So that the compass is at one and the same time stationary and moving. At least one, one part of it is fixed, the other part is moving. Now, in the case of the Christian being grounded and rooted, 
He is grounded and rooted in Christ. As to doctrine, to teaching, to enlightenment. And because of this he walks in him. And being rooted and grounded is absolutely essential to the walk in him. So that he is not tossed about with every wind of doctrine. With the slate of men and cunning craftiness wherewith they lie in wait to deceive. Maybe it's a characteristic of our day. A stronger word might be used. Maybe it's a judgment that has come upon us that those who propagate error are so zealous. There's hardly a week passes but somebody comes to the door propagating error, the most dangerous error. Not so long ago, a certain man came to the door of the manse. He was quite very bizarre preaching there. And his theme was, Christ is not God. Well, I usually argue with these people, but I didn't that time. I told him to leave. I couldn't listen to such things. But the seed for the propagation of error has come to the proportions of a judgment. Why? Why is this? Because we haven't received the love of the truth. And why is it? that the people who propagate error are so successful because of course the mass of old people have not rooted and grounded in the truth as it is in Christ they don't know well to walk in Christ is not to walk in darkness no it is to walk in the light if any man follow me, he shall not walk in darkness, but he shall have the light of life. If any man will do his will, he will know of the doctrine, whether it be of God. That is to say, this doctrine takes to do not only with the intellect, but also with the will. <coughs> It is not a, a cold scheme of truth. It is something that captivates the heart. The truth as it is in Jesus. It takes to do with the hardness of the heart. My friends, there may be much light. And no softening of the heart, no change of heart. There is a light that freezes as well as a light that falls. 
there may be light, the light of knowledge. While the effect it has is to make the heart harder than it was before. Take a moonlight night, for instance. <clears throat> it's much brighter than a moonless night, but very often accompanying that light there is frost, often hard frost. There's no thorn, no. There is no thorn until the sun comes out in its breath. And then there's not only light, but there's a taking away of the hardness that is due to coldness. And coldness that is due to hardness. It is the sun that falls. Then those who walk in Christ are saved in a measure from this hardness of heart. Yes. And they walk in Christ because of this. Walk ye in. Furthermore, they have been saved from the ignorance of the life of God. Those who walk in Christ Jesus, the life of God, they walk in Christ Jesus the more because of life. They have life, as we have indicated last Sabbath. Christ to them is the life, even the life of God. They are not strangers to the life of God. But this life has been communicated to them. And here we have them walking in Christ as their king, the giver of life. And walking in him according to his direction. In as far as they walk in him at all, it must be according to his rules and regulations. It is walking in the light. They are not strangers to the life of God. Now that might mean many things. But uh, this is implied in a dead way. <laughs> they know that God lives. That God is. that he lives, that he is the living God. God lives, blessed be my rock, so sings the psalmist. God lives, and he lives from everlasting to everlasting. He alone has immortality, dwelling in life to which none can approach. But this life of God in Christ Jesus is communicated unto them. They know what it is to live. And they know to this extent at least that perhaps one of their most uh, outstanding 
And one of their commonest petitions is this. Let my soul live. And then it shall give praises unto thee. Let my soul live. Why do they pray like that? Because they have experienced life. They know the difference between life and death. Hence their prayer, let my soul live. Live in the energy of this life that God gives. That it may walk in Christ. walk in him to the glory of God the Father. They are not aliens to the life of God, strangers to it, and hence they walk in it. And this life, of course, is communicated to them in and through Christ. Hence to them, he is the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the life. The way, the truth, and the life. They walk in him thus. Now, <clears throat> in doing so, in walking in him, they have a special A special end in view. And what is this aim? Why do they walk in Christ? Why do they desire to walk in Christ? Why do they pray, let my soul live? Well, he tells us that it may give praises to thee. Their aim is to be glorifying to God. To please me, to be pleasing unto God. Walk in Him, rooted and grounded in Him. Not tossed about with every wind of doctrine. No, but steadfast in Him, steadfast in the faith. <clears throat> Which to us means this. Among other things, let us know what we believe, and let us know why we believe. So many people say that they believe something, and they don't know in the universe what it is after all they believe. And certainly they don't know why they believe it. They are in a haze, in a mist. And of course these these cannot give a reason for the hope that is in them. No. Well, we say that there may be the life of God, where um, there is very little ability to put that, uh, the exercises of that life in systematic order. But that's not desirable. It is desirable that we should know that we should know where we are and why we're there. 
what we believe and why we believe. Why we walk in one way and not in another. And above all, we should be convinced of this. And this is a criterion by which we can test ourselves. What is the aim of our walk? We must walk either in Christ or in some other way. We must walk. We cannot stand still. But what is the aim of our walking? Is it self-gratification? Or has it any connection with the chief end of man, which is to glorify and to enjoy God? Now let us again refer to the solemn fact that we are <clears throat> at the threshold of, a, of another year of our life. The first Sabbath of another year. What is a walk? What is a way? What is a chief end? Not absolutely considered, but considered from our own point of view. What do we make our chief end? Well, that is a criteria that infallibly determines our state and our condition. Walk in them. Glorify to God in your walk. And of course, other things will take care of themselves. If we could only put this first. Oh, how often does the Redeemer himself emphasizes this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all other things will be added to you. You don't need to worry about them. Instead of giving all your time to worrying about seek this first. And then all things will be added up to you all things that God sees necessary. But oh, it is so difficult. It is so difficult to believe that. Of course it is difficult to believe that. Very difficult. And it is very difficult to act on that. Yes. If it weren't difficult, it wouldn't be of God. That is difficult for the natural man. It is not difficult for faith. It might be difficult for the man in whom there is faith. There is no doubt in faith but there, much, there may be much doubt in the man who has the faith. It's not in his faith, oh no. Faith fights doubt. It fights against it, that's its very nature. There's no doubt in faith. There may be much doubt in the mind in which that faith is. Doubt about what? About many things. And especially in relation to our text. Doubt as to the profitableness or wisdom of walking as God commands us. No man believes that of hand. Oh no, my friend. No, no. To believe that we must have the faith which is of, of the operation of God. Nevertheless, this is not only our good. This is what's of supreme profit to us in the last analysis. Everything else is but vanity. 
It passes with the news. May God grant us then to walk us, to receive, to be right at the beginning, that we may be right at the end, and to walk in him. Whether our life in this world be long or short, that we should walk in him, rooted and grounded in the faith, until we come to the full stature of the measure of Christ.